Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad you're with me today. Hope you had a good week and hope you're looking forward to even a better week. I always like to start out on that Sunday morning by saying whatever happened this past week is good. Father works all things to good to those that love him, serve him, called according to his purpose, and that's you that are on the Digital Cathedral. But we're looking forward to even a better week that is ahead. Last Sunday morning, I started a little three-part series that I'm calling um, The Gospel Without Doctrines. The Gospel Without Doctrines. And I looked at it this week, and I think I can get this finished up in three sessions. So last week was the first session. And basically what we're talking about here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delve into it just a little bit further this morning. Basically what we're talking about is returning to a very simplistic life that Jesus modeled for us. Last week we established two things. We established that in the early church there were, there were no doctrines, no confessions of faith, no Bible, no magic prayer, nothing you had to do to, in order to join except become a follower of Jesus. So there was one, in the early church there was only one doctrinal statement, and that is Jesus is Lord. And we walked through several passages of the book of Acts that, that made that proclamation from the time they were received into fellowship to even the times they were baptized. It seems like the only thing that was really needed was to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And we said the only law that we need to walk by is the law that Jesus laid down when he said, a new commandment I give to you is that you love one another as I have loved you. So I'm, I have a vision. I, I just think with everything that's going on today, when I see the move of the Spirit of God around the globe that has brought in uh, grace and the finished work of the cross and the unconditional love of the Father and the inclusion of all mankind in everything that Jesus finished for us, I see a scaling back. There's, there's a shift going on. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. There's a shift that is, that is going on. And uh, we're unwinding some of what took 400 years to develop. The early church, as I said, had no, no set systematic theology, no setting concrete belief system. They just proclaimed Jesus is Lord, and they walked out and they demonstrated the love for one another that Jesus had. So it took about 400 years for this religion to become sophisticated up to the time of Constantine when he declared that Christianity was now the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire. And from that point forward, religion and politics kind of joined together, even up through the time that the King James Bible was written. King James authorized, was it, 38, 39 bishops to put together an interpretation of the Bible that, where possible, would shine a good light on the government and and religion, especially the hierarchy. That was what was really highlighted. So we have verses in the scripture that I'm not sure I translated exactly correct. I, I, I could get into it probably a little bit one week, but I don't know if I want to, where it says, you know, make sure that you mind higher authorities, submit to higher authorities. There's no authority that is in authority except what God has ordained it. So a lot of that stuff was kind of brought in and it's still been with us today. So what we're seeing is a scaling back to the simplistic life that Jesus taught. And I think if we're going to come to the unity of the faith, which the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are supposed to bring us to a unity of the faith, then we're going to have to drop some of the stuff that we've held so dear and so unmovable in our theological system. So I want to, I want to get into that a little bit further today because I, I just want to set your vision for what I think is going to be coming down the road. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What we're seeing in 2022 is an emergence of the kingdom. The, the kingdom is continuing to emerge and, and grow in priority. And I think as you see a increase of the kingdom, you're going to see a decrease in emphasis on theology. Theology and belief systems has taken a priority position, a front seat in most of Christianity, but Jesus demonstrated and Jesus taught us how to live in the kingdom on a daily basis, how to, how to flesh this thing out. One of the problems with theology is that there is no actual practicality on how to live it out. It, it sets some, um, you know, it sets some vision on some nice things, some good things, but it doesn't really change your life. We're talking about how to walk out the kingdom. As the kingdom emerges, I think you're going to see a diminish in the importance and the emphasis that is placed on a correct theological system. That's going to be a huge shift for a lot of people. Jesus taught us how to walk out the kingdom in Luke chapter 4. As soon as he came out of his time of testing in the wilderness, it says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, well, it says in 16, 17, that he went to the synagogue as it was his practice and he picked up the book and he began to teach this. He began to preach and proclaim exactly what his mission was. And I want you to listen to this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, this is, this is practical living. This is meeting the needs of people where they live. This is what we are to be about in kingdom life. This is where we can just say Jesus is Lord and the only law we live by is to love one another like Jesus loved us. If I, could, I can fellowship with anybody if Jesus is their Lord and if they love people, I can fellowship with them. I can get by with an eschatology, an end time belief that's different than mine or a little, you know, a Christological view that might be a little different or even a view of salvation or sin. Those, those things become secondary on the back burner if we can just begin to see what Jesus said here is a demonstration of the kingdom. And this is fully a demonstration of the kingdom right here. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed. And verse 19 says, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I want you to notice in those, in those two verses, Luke 4, 18 and 19, that it's totally a demonstration of the kingdom. There's no theology in those verses. Nothing about the virgin birth, nothing about the inerrancy of scripture, even whatever scripture, the law and the prophets that, that they had at that time. Jesus didn't get into any of that. He didn't come out on the hypostatic union that he was 100% God, 100% man. If you don't believe that, you're a heretic. He didn't get into any of that. He just said, look, this is how we're going to demonstrate. These are the things that we are going to be about. And Paul picked up on that, and Paul said that you and I have a word to carry, and it's a word of reconciliation. The ministry that we have is a ministry of reconciliation. I think everything there in Luke chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 is a reconciling word that brings us back to a very simplistic walk and an understanding that the Father loves us, cares for us, provides for us, and does not mean any evil to be directed toward us in any way, shape, or form. So Paul said, he, he, we've been given a word of reconciliation. We haven't, been give, we haven't been given a word of division. We haven't been given a word of exclusivity. Um, 
that kind of comes along with some of the writings of Paul. And Paul had to be very adamant and firm about what he was teaching because he was bringing people that lived on one side of the cross to the other side of the cross. I think we've picked up some of the teachings of Paul and we have made them into being something that I don't, I'm sure they were not designed to be. Let me give you a quick example. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, 7, and 8, Paul says this. He said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So Paul's pretty, Paul's pretty strong about that, saying, I have the word. I have the gospel. And if anybody comes and preaches a gospel other than I have, let him be accursed. Now, what we Calvinists have taken that. Arminians have taken that. Universalists have taken that and, and have said, look, what we are teaching is right. And anything that is contrary to what we teach is another gospel. They're teaching another Jesus. And we've used that to prove our rightness and the error of other people. We've done that. Even today, we've done that. With all the revelation that's coming, we still take some texts like that and the great falling away that Paul talks about. We say, yes, that's, that's going on over there. People are living in contrary to what we're teaching is right doctrine. They're not living in holiness. And there's a falling away in the last time. See, we take, we've taken all that. And rather just than keeping two simple things, Jesus is Lord and love one another, even as Jesus loved us. And the reason we do that is because for centuries, Christianity has been presented and accepted as a system of beliefs and theology. We've, we, we've got this thing nailed down to what we believe more than the relationship that we are to enjoy. The, the, the striving to believe right and the striving then to gather with people that believe like we do, which is what every church is. You got a Baptist church on this corner that believe like all the Baptists. You got a, a, a charismatic church over on the other corner believes like all the charismatics. Then you got a second Baptist on the third corner that had a little difference with the first Baptist, so they split off and formed their own church called the Second Baptist. It's the priority has been on what we believe and then to assemble ourselves with other people. And I, I honestly, that's what church is about. It's, if you think it's about relationship, if you think church is about fellowship, just wait till you're asked to leave a church and see how many people come and visit you. Or you just leave and nobody knows why you left. See how many people actually love you like Jesus demonstrated. Just see what happens there. And you'll find that, that church is about um, confirmational bias. It's about going every Sunday hearing the same sermon with a different title, same three points, give an altar call at the end, try to make converts, try to bring people into our group. Uh, church has got to grow. Church has got to get its market share within the city, and we got to make sure that we do that. Christianity has been presented as a system of beliefs and theology, and then we gather together around that. And we've got books by the gazillions that will support whatever it is that we're teaching and what we hear every Sunday morning. And the reason we've heard that, here's, here's been the motivation of the church. Here's been, here's been the error of it. Uh, and this is not so much an error in what we believe, it's the motivation. We have thought that if we could get people to believe right, that they would then act right. 
So we got 40, 40 some thousand different denominations that are trying to get people to believe right in hopes that they act right. And whatever your flavor of Christianity is, that's what you believe and that has an influence on the way that you live. For example, if you go to United Pentecostal Church, you're gonna act and believe one way. Ladies are gonna let their hair grow. They're not gonna wear jewelry. They're not gonna wear makeup. Uh, there's a whole, they're gonna believe that uh, there's no regeneration unless you're baptized in immersion and speak in tongues, then you're, then you're saved. You go over to the Baptist church, they're not gonna believe that. They're just gonna believe you pray the magic prayer and you're in. The, the, at the Baptist church, you're not gonna find any ladies that have a leadership position. You go to a Pentecostal church, you'll find ladies in positions of teaching, preaching, and even lady pastors that you won't find at the Baptist church. So that reflects in behavior. What you believe is gonna have a direct effect on your behavior, but here's the problem. Believing, having a perfect theology, perfect belief system that's reflected in the way you live, the problem is for centuries now, it has not changed our heart. It has not changed, it has not changed us from the inside out. The problem is outward behavior motivated solely by a, 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 a perfect, correct theology does not change the heart. And that's what we're after. Jesus is Lord and loving others as yourself, that'll have an internal change. Jesus was after internal change. He wasn't after outward forms. He wasn't after uh, looking right, talking right, having the right words. He was after a heart change. I think people pick, see, people pick up on that. Let me show you something here from Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8 says this. This speaks to what, what Jesus was emanating from within. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus came as a perfect reflection of the Father. Jesus came to show us the heart and the love of the Father lived out in daily form, fleshed out. So in, 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 this, eighth, in this eighth verse of uh, Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said, the, the people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, right? They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This points out how we've kind of digressed. And even, even Jesus saw it in his day, that people can worship with their lips. They can say all the right words, have the best belief system and best theology. And in just a couple of minutes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you a verse of scripture that shows what it was within Jesus that drew people. It was not a right belief system. It wasn't a systematic theology that was a prototype for everybody to believe. Jesus said, when, what you really need to be, be aware of is worshiping God with your lips, but your heart isn't changed. And what we have today are people that have been a Christian, been a follower, some of very sincere people. They really love Jesus. But, they're, but, they're, but their life is not based on a fellowship and relationship. It's not based on Jesus as Lord and loving people. It's based on their security comes from what they believe. So I guess the question that I'm, I'm wrestling with here in this three-part series is this. What are the beliefs? What is the theology that really matters? Whether you're a Baptist, you're a Pentecostal, a Catholic, a Charismatic, whatever you are, what is it? that we could say, so that we could come to a unity of the faith. Once we come to a unity of the faith, I'm gonna tell you something, you're gonna see this thing explode. Once we're willing to put our doctrines on the back burner, 
put our beliefs on the back burner and just say, look, here's what's going to, here's what's going to distinguish my life. Jesus is Lord and loving other people the way that Jesus loves me. What, what, what is it that we could scale down in every denomination, every belief system? See, that, that's the big question that we face as the spirit of truth is bringing huge change into the lives of people. Many of you here at the Digital Cathedral, you have changed drastically. Your beliefs have changed. Your theology has shifted. But it didn't, you didn't change because of the theology shift. The theology shifted because you changed. There was an inward work. You understand what I'm saying? There was an inward work. God began to show you His grace, His favor. You begin to see His love was unconditional that it wasn't based on your performance. And when that began to settle into your life, you automatically begin to live different, think different. You begin to see people different. The judgmentalism evaporated. You begin to see people apart from their flesh and their actions. You begin to see that their authentic identity was divinity, that they weren't awakened to yet. They were, might be ignorant of it. But you changed radically. You changed radically. There are people all over the earth that are changing today. Not because they have all of a sudden believed different or the theology is different. It's because of what the Spirit of God has awakened them to. What they now see that they never saw before. What, they, what they're now able to glean from their book when they pick it up and read it. It's like you're reading a different book. People are challenging long-held beliefs. I'm, I, hierarchy, pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, they're not necessarily challenging. The challenge to long-term beliefs are coming from regular folks like us that have no prominent positions. In fact, there's no superstars in the thing that is taking place on the earth today. But long-held beliefs are being challenged and religion is being shaken. Religion doesn't know how to handle you. And anytime religion cannot handle you, it will put you outside the city. It'll put you outside the gates. And many of you that are here on the Digital Cathedral, have either left a church on your own accord, you've been asked to leave, and it's because you can no longer go along with beliefs like eternal conscious torment or a fictitious rapture. They're just things that have been pushed and pushed and pushed. You know, you've got to pray a prayer. You've got to weep and wail over your sins before they can be forgiven. Just some things that are like fingernails on a chalkboard you can't deal with anymore. So either you left or you expressed your concern to leadership and they called you a rebel, they called you uh, a potster, and they put you outside the camp. So the challenge is coming from the grassroots up and I, that's how all great revolutions take place. It comes from regular folks. So what the shift that is going on, if there's a common characteristic of those of us at the Digital Cathedral, it's that we have shifted from a set of concrete beliefs and a set theology, and that's very fluid now. I've encouraged you to keep your theology fluid because we change, we make adjustments, and when we see more, we change more. And can I say the first couple of changes are extremely difficult to make, but once you begin to make changes and the Spirit of God shows you something, it's easy to make a shift and a change because now you're in that mode, you're, you're pliable. You're able to make a shift without a lot of resistance. So the shift today is, is moving from this set theology, this I'm right, you're wrong, I'm insider, you're outsider. It's to, a, it's to a way of life, to a way of living. We're feeling free. We're living free. We're not under bondage. We're not under oppression. And it's called 
the emergence of the kingdom. This is what Jesus taught. This is what Jesus was after. And believe me, it's going to accelerate. It's already growing exponentially around the world. But the point of emphasis, point forward, is going to be living the life over separating ourselves in a little group by what we believe. He's teaching us how to live our life. Now, I know it can be lonely when you're by yourself, feeling like nobody else in your city, you're not connected to people. He's teaching you how to live the life. You're in the school of the Spirit. Some of you feel like you're in the wilderness. That's fine. All great change takes place in the wilderness, whether it was Jesus, Paul, David, uh, Moses. The wilderness is, is not to be feared. It's not to be run from. It's to be embraced because that's where change takes place. Part of God's grace that he's given us. And man, I thank him for this. Every day I thank you. I said, Father, thank you that you cut me free from some of that stuff. Because part of, of his grace today is giving us slack <laughs> over the beliefs that we carry. Because let's be frank, nobody has perfect beliefs. If you're counting on perfect beliefs in theology to get you through, you're not going to make it. Because none of us got it all right. I go back and listen to things that I did three, four years ago. And I go, man, I, I, I really need to adjust that. And that's one of the problems with writing books or doing YouTube videos is that, man, once it's there, it's there and people can see it. So sometimes people will look at something that I teach and they'll send me a question because it, it varies a little bit from what I'm doing now. And five years from now, probably what I'm teaching today is going to shift and it's going to adjust again. But, but Jesus is my Lord. I'm Christocentric. I will always be Christocentric. And I'm learning and I'm growing in the love that I have for other people to love like Jesus loved. Now, the rest of it can change. The rest of it, I'm, I'm wide open to, to hear. It actually has never been our job to tell other people what to believe. It's actually never been our job to tell people this is the absolute truth. And there's no bending. There's no variance from this. That's above my pay grade. Jesus said in, what is it, John chapter 16, verse 13, that familiar verse, he said, it's expedient for you that I go away, but if I go away, I'm going to send the Spirit of truth, and he will lead you into all truth. The truth that the Spirit of truth is leading me into, and the truth he's leading you into, because of our makeup, our point in the journey, what we're open to, what we're, what we're uh, willing to receive, is going to be different. So maybe, maybe you're over here on level eight, so to speak, on this issue, and I'm over here at level four yet. So you look at me and say, what's wrong with that guy? Why doesn't he get caught up? What he's over here believing? That's not right. So you come out with your level eight correction of my level four standing. And you know what? I don't like that. That, that riles me. I go, I don't see it like that. Well, if you give me a little bit of time, I may get up to level eight, but probably by that time, you'll be at level 10. So it's not my job. And I try very hard on the digital cathedral not to tell you this is what you absolutely have to believe. And if you don't believe this, you're an absolute error. No, I, I, I'm not going to do that. Jesus said the spirit of truth will lead us into all truth. Paul said it like this, um, Philippians 2.12. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, work it out for yourself. But we've got this headliner, Jesus is Lord, and our love walk. Right? We keep those two right there on the front burner. The things that are... Other than that, we put it on the back burner and we let adjust. Now, it's, I'm not saying it's not important to believe right. I'm not saying it's not important to iron out a theology. 
Last, last Sunday morning, I gave you the 10 different divisions of systematic theology of which the apostles began teaching doctrine. They knew nothing about any of the 10. They did not have a, a set theology that was systematic in nature about angels, about sin, about uh, you know, end times. There, there are 10 different groups. I got an undergraduate degree in systematic theology. I never use it because my beliefs have changed. But yet I, I learned my denominations beliefs about those 10 different areas. Took me, took me four years, but I learned it, right? And I was a good parent. I got out and was parenting until the Spirit of God began to work on me. And over a period of years, and it came in stages and developments till finally, in the early 2000s, 2001, 2002, right in there, I began to see the simplicity of the gospel, began to see the grace of God that uh, is so phenomenal that it just sets you on fire, makes you feel like you got born again again, makes you feel like you're reading the Bible again for the first time. And that's, that's the way that it moves. So would it be possible? I think the question to the, to the large body of Christ, and I want to pose this, somehow, some way. The question is this, can we trust the work of the Spirit of Truth enough? Can we trust the work of the Spirit of Truth enough that we could move our emphasis from theology to a loving way of life? Can we trust the Spirit of Truth enough to bring other people along at the rate they should be brought along, seeing what they need to see at that particular juncture in time? Could we, could we somehow abandon judgmentalism? Could we set aside judging people after the flesh? Sectarianism, I'm, bless God, I'm a Baptist. My granddaddy was, I'll always be a Baptist. If you're not a Baptist, you're not really in the will of God. Could we set all that aside? And in its place, could we just begin to develop the love, the joy, the peace, the fruit of the Spirit that all comes out of this relationship, this intimate fellowship that we have with the Father. This, if we're going to come to a unity of the faith, y'all, or as in Texas we say all y'all, we're going to have to begin to be willing to take the lead in saying, I'm coming back to a very simple walk. I'm coming back to a place that I'm going to love people regardless. And the only thing that I know for sure is that Jesus is Lord. What's happened is, in our efforts to awaken those that are asleep spiritually, I think we've missed something vitally important that Jesus taught us would shake the world. Would shake the world. Would you like to know how, how the world could recognize Jesus? Let me show you a verse of scripture from John chapter 13. I mean, how many times have we read this? I want you to hear it again today for the very first time because there's a lot in this verse that, that coincides with what I'm teaching in this, um, this, this, this whole series of teachings about the gospel without doctrines. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 35. He said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. How many, how many teachings have I done on the manifestation of the sons of God? All different facets and phases of it. I've gotten technical. I've gotten, you know, I've, I've dug stuff out, tried to bring revelation about it. And Jesus brings it down to one verse and says, you want to manifest as a son of God? 
I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it. He said, by this, all. Man, anytime there's the word all in scripture, I, I take notice because all is a big word. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Going to know that you're sons of God, brothers of Jesus, followers of Christ. One simple thing, what we pointed out last week. Only thing we need to do, have love for one another. That's evangelism. All y'all, that's evangelism. That's kingdom evangelism right there. He didn't say you had to get a, a, a pocket full of chick tracks and go around passing those out and, you know, they, and, and leave one for the waitress at the restaurant. Uh, you don't have to leave them in the restroom. You don't have to force them on people in the street. You don't have to go out and stand outside of a bar and hand them out to everybody to turn to burn tracks. You better turn or you're going to burn forever. That's not how the world's going to know that we're disciples of Jesus. It's not by a perfect end time eschatology. It's not by, by spreading fear into the lives of people that you may be left behind. You don't pray the prayer, you don't get it right, you're going to be left behind. It's not having the right theory of atonement. It's, it's not, no, you, you must do this and you must not do that. You have to do, you better not do. It's none of those things that does not evangelize. That's why we've been so anemic and so weak at it. And frankly, why it's an embarrassment to go do. I don't know of anybody, unless you got a, a contorted personality, emotional setup somehow, that really, set, that really enjoys sitting down with somebody and, and saying, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you prayed the prayer of repentance? Because if you don't, I'm going to tell you you're headed for hell. You're going to burn in flames forever. I don't know anybody that, that enjoys sitting down and coming with that. And yet when we begin to demonstrate the love, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, we've wanted the world to see Jesus. And yet we've totally forsaken. We have not given the, the, the heavy weight that it belongs to exactly what Jesus said and how to accomplish it. He told us how to accomplish world evangelism. And that is to demonstrate the love for one another that he, he demonstrated for us. So I'm submitting to you this morning at the Digital Cathedral, my family. I submit to you that the kingdom is going to explode. It's going to grow exponentially. It's going to grow by leaps and bounds. It has done a phenomenal job over these last 10 years with just the message of grace. But when we begin to take the wraps off, Jesus is Lord, and we love one another, and we're no longer tied to a set of beliefs and doctrines, that are non-negotiable, you're going to see an explosion in people that are drawn to Jesus. When we live a life that is characterized by what our founder's life, Jesus, the founder of the way that we live, when our life begins to demonstrate that, and he's our Lord, you know, he's, he's our guy. There's, Buddha's not my guy. Confucius is not my guy. Jesus is my guy. I pattern my life and he lives his life through me and I live as him and he lives as me. I'm in him and he's in me. Father's in me. I'm in the Father. I died my life is hidden with Christ in God. That's my position. And when you live that life, there's something that begins to emanate. There's something that begins to come out of you. It's an energy. Quantum physics may say it's a vibration. Uh, you know, there, there's something that begins to come and people sense something and they're drawn to you. They certainly were Jesus. Let me, read, let me read something to you from Matthew chapter 4, verse, verse 8. Uh, verse, let me pick it up in verse 18. Now, I want you to see this in the life of Jesus, how who he was had an effect on other people. 
just just by the just by the way he postured himself the way he carried himself the, what what came from him out of his inner man it says in verse 18 that Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen they were in business for themselves they were I, I would say they're probably successful businessmen made some pretty good money being a fisherman everybody had to have fish and Jesus answered and follow, said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What was it about Jesus that made those men, in verse 20, they immediately left their nets and followed Jesus? <clears throat> what was it that made them leave their families, leave their business, leave their known way of life and follow Jesus? Was it his dynamic personality? I don't think so. Was it the fact that he offered them something that they could not get monetarily, or, or humanly from some other person? I don't think so. There was something about the character, the essence of Jesus. The, uh, listen, th this may shock you. I don't think they were following Jesus the man. I think what they followed was the Christ that was within Jesus. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. The Christ within Jesus, to me, represents the deity of Jesus, and, and Jesus was the flesh representation of the of the deity of the Christ that was within. Okay? So he was 100% God, 100% man. But I think you could look at the flesh Jesus, but there was something about him that emanated from within, and that's who they followed. My question is this, can we build on the pillars of grace? Can we build on the pillar of inclusion and the fatherhood of God and the identity that we have as divinity and the love of Jesus? Can we build on those and can we abandon this idea of exclusion and judgment and the hypocrisy that it, that it makes happen and the oppression that takes place? See, the, the unity of the faith, and this is what spur, spurred me to do this whole series, is because I saw in that fourth chapter of Ephesians, verses 11, 12, 13, I saw that we were to come to the unity of the faith, not come to a unity of what we all believe. Not come into a unity of our theology. The goal is the unity of the faith. The goal is not everybody believe the same thing. We need to switch our goal. We need to switch the target. We need to bring people into the unity of the faith. And the unity of the faith, I think whether you're a Pentecostal, you're a Baptist, whether you're charismatic, we can all come and say, look, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And we want to love people even as Jesus loved us. But that's not how the church has handled it. For centuries, the church has presented God as this exclusionary, judgmental, uh, hypocritical, you forgive your enemies, but I'm going to torture mine. We've presented him as this kind of ogre that is extremely oppressive. We've presented him as a God that showers blessings on the insiders and those that have it, and he's punished and separated himself from those that don't. He punishes outsiders that don't meet the level of acceptance that religion has put on that level to attain before God will accept you. So here comes Jesus. Jesus comes along and doesn't portray that kind of oppressive judgmental deity. Instead, he portrays a gracious parent, a father that's tender-hearted. He doesn't show us a father that's rough, that's thick-skinned, that's authoritarian, that's judgmental. Jesus brings a new vision to the table of God who is a father. 
Have you noticed in the Old Testament that God is not really revealed as a father? There are a few remote verses that speak of God as father, especially to the nation of Israel. He was the father of that nation. But Jesus brings it into another dimension where it's now of intimate fellowship. It's relationship. Jesus brings us the Holy Spirit that reconciles us, that quickens us, that awakens us, and places us consciously within the Father where we've always been, but now we can live and move and have our being there. And Paul got a hold of it. Paul saw it. So he's writing to the Ephesian church and he gets down to verse 6, verse 7, and he says that there's one God and Father of all, who is above all, who is through all, and this one Father is in all. Do you see the shift? You see the change? Now, if you're just going to look at the Old Testament as, as him being uh, judgmental and vindictive, and he has to get his pound of flesh, and then you look at what Jesus presented, it's hard to reconcile. In fact, you can't reconcile it. Jesus takes us then from the law of do and don't do. He takes us from following this prescribed set of laws that Moses had, 613 laws. He takes us now into this relationship of a father with his family. And in, in, in a father with his family, now you can begin to demonstrate the love that the father shows to us. You give me a father in a family that really loves his kids, sacrificial love for his children, and I can tell you the chances are his children are going to demonstrate the same kind of, of love that the father does. It's important that the father demonstrate that kind of love naturally, and it certainly was spiritually. We got a father that claims all, all of creation as his offspring. And man, there's some of us that aren't very, aren't very loving, aren't very lovable. And he claims all of us. He doesn't have the insider, the outsider. That's what religion has done. When we come to the unity of the faith, that's one thing we're going to have to get rid of. And, and we will when we begin to love other people like Jesus loved us. You'll get rid of this insider, outsider. You'll begin to get rid of the, of, of the idea that I have it and you don't have it. When I look at this thing, I have to say somewhere along the line, Jesus was kidnapped. I don't know how else to say it. Jesus was kidnapped and he was made a business out of. I mean, what, what happened to the Jesus of the gospel that was, that was simple, that was beautiful, that was easy to understand, who had a message? What happened to the Jesus of Luke chapter 19.10 that said, I, I came to seek and to save that which was lost? Whatever the Jesus that just said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. What happened to this Jesus? Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. This is the Jesus and the love that we need to demonstrate. What happened to the Jesus that said, come unto me, all you that labor are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Man, there's no rest like Jesus' rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle. And lowly. Remember, he's reflecting the Father now. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Anything that is difficult is not him. Anything that is heavy is not him. Verse 28, 29, and 30 of, of Matthew chapter 11 is demonstrating this, this one-way love that he has for us. He says, just come, come to me like you are. Remember we, that song, Just As I Am Without One Plea? And you, you responded to that song because it sounds so good. It's so inviting. But then when you get there, all of a sudden, you find out just as you are ain't good enough. And so now you have all these weights and burdens placed on you and you can't keep up with it. And that's why many people wash out 
People in the evangelical church come make a, deci a decision for Jesus. They can't find him six months later because now they've gotten in and they found out everything that's required of them. So I didn't sign up for this. I signed up because I, I was heavy laden and he promised me rest. He promised me to come just like I am. And that's where grace needs to kick in. And people need to learn that grace is that divine influence that produces effortless changes. We rest in him. So as we demonstrate the Lordship of Jesus in love, it creates this haven where people can rest. And in that atmosphere of rest, tremendous change can take place from within. And finally, when the change comes with it, it's gonna be reflected in their outward behavior. Just let it happen. Let it happen organically. We don't have to push it on people or try to make it happen. See, fund fundamentalists and legals have captured this Jesus. They've kidnapped him, prated him on Christian television. They've, they've kind of twist, twisted what he said and, and made him into something that he never wanted to be. Jesus never asked to be this idol that sat on a pedestal and worshiped every Sunday morning. He never asked for that. Now I know there's a time or two that the lady came and washed his feet with her hair and her tears and all that. I understand all that. But Jesus didn't go around and saying, look, if you don't worship me, if you don't recognize me, I'm telling you what, you're in big trouble. You're gonna eternally be separated from God. If you don't confess me, when you ask Jesus to come into your heart, where do you think he came from? out yonder, out in the cosmos somewhere. When he died and resurrected, you died with him and resurrected with him. He's always been within you. You didn't know it. You weren't awakened to it. They didn't tell you that. They told you you had to ask him. Nobody ever, nobody asked the pastor. I asked Jesus in my heart, where's he coming from? Where's he residing? Where's, where's the place that he's hanging out? <laughs> and how does he get within me? All right. Those are, when you come to that, you come to the conclusion that Paul came to when he said, when it pleased the mother, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal the Christ that was in me. He preaches to the Gentiles and says, Gentiles, it's Christ that is in you that is the hope of glory. He was pounding those Gentiles, letting them know that Christ was within them. So many of us have arrived at a place today. We've actually picked up. I'm talking to you about keeping Jesus as Lord and love as, as the ethic. Jesus as Lord is our theology. It's all theology you need. And the ethics you need to live by is just love other people. Now there's some of us that have kind of unconsciously moved there because we now describe ourselves, we describe ourselves as spiritual, not religious. So when you, when you see yourself non-religious, but you know that you're a spirit and you know that Jesus is Lord, you're loving people, you see that's an act of the spirit. You see that's living out of spirit. That's feeding at the tree of life. That's getting into the groove that you want to get into. And what we want to see is this become the standard and the norm. If it could just become the norm for those today that would say, yes, I'm a Christian, you'd see the world changed in a, in a flash. See, now the religious look at that and they label that awakening, that opening of the eyes. They, 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 they term it, uh, they dismiss it as unorthodox. They may call you a heretic. Say you've gone too far. You haven't gone too far. What we're simply doing is returning back to the basics. It's almost 2023. And I'm gonna tell you something, beginning in 2023, you're gonna see more and more of a return of people that are awakening around the globe that have come to an understanding of grace and the things we talk about, the digital cathedral, you're gonna see this, this gravitational pull 
back to a life that demonstrates very simplistically, very simplistically, because now our security with the Father is shifting. And many of you, it's already shifted a lot, but it's going to shift more. It's shifting from doctrines to relationship. When I, when I look at um, what takes place, it takes, generally I think it kind of takes place in, in, in three steps, three dimensions. There's a threefold move that's going on right now globally. It's going on uh, individually. It's going on corporately in some places. I think we could say that the Christian faith was born on a weekend. Let me just throw this out there for you to consider. I think that between Good Friday and that resurrection morning, some things took place. I think those three days represent the essential movements that individually and collectively were making. And we're different places on these three days. I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier when I said, you know, maybe you're on an eight, I'm on a four. You gotta, we trust the spirit of truth. And we got to trust the spirit of truth to bring us through the three-step progression that I think was demonstrated on Good Friday, Saturday, and Resurrection morning. Let me just lay this out there. I think this, this little analogy, this little analogy might kind of help you see it. Good Friday is a painful death. But it was a painful death when I, when I finally came, when I'm sitting in my office, you know, around the year 2000, 2001, I'm sitting in my office and I'm seeing this theology that I've embraced all my life and all, you know, the degrees and the stuff, the schooling that I've gone through and I've saw, I see it just explode and move out of it. And I, I went through a death. I went through a death, right? But let me tell you, without a death, there's no resurrection, right? So on, on Friday, you got to know Sunday morning's coming. But on Friday, it's, it can be hard. It's, it's what I would call the death and the collapse of the belief systems of Christianity. And some are here. Some are right at this point. When, when the things they, they believe, they see are dying. They see are, are, are not factual. They're not true. They don't hold water. They're, they're not resonating. They're, the spirit of truth is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And you're hearing one thing externally, maybe you're still going to church, hearing something from the platform. Inside me, you say, this does not make sense. I, I don't like this. this. This seems yuck. All of a sudden, this does not make sense to me. It can be traumatic. It can produce a lot of insecurity. It can produce some anxiety, some angst. And for it did in me, I began to think, what are, what's going to happen, man? I'm, I'm all of a sudden, I'm seeing stuff. Nobody else in this, this church I have, the staff of pastors and the hundreds of people that come on Sunday morning, the, what, what I'm, I, nobody's seeing it. But what, what's going on here? It did not make for a comfortable time in my life. There was a death that was going on. It can be traumatic, but it's something that's going to happen. And you have to face it with courage. You have to face it. You can't stay in the closet. You can't just keep it to yourself. You face it with courage and a vision that something better is coming. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 14, he said, unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it'll bring forth a lot of fruit. The death that you're experiencing, those of you that are at this point in your walk, the death that you're experiencing is necessary and you need to, don't fight it, don't resist it, submit to it. Knowing that that corn of wheat, you, is going to produce a lot of fruit. You have to get your eyes on the fruit. I know it's not comfortable, you know, even daring to consider that the essence, 
that the core of our life is sons and daughters, our beliefs could possibly be wrong, can be a shattering experience. Now, some of you, I know that some of you have sensed it all your life that something's amiss here. You know, the teaching on hell, there's something wrong with this. Doesn't, it doesn't jive. Right? But for those of us that embrace it for a lot of years, these things are they're slow death, penal substitution. The fact that God did not take his wrath and his anger and beat the kajabbers out of Jesus instead of me. The fact that he was Christ the victor over the grave, over hell, over death. See, all that is a, all that is a, is, is a shifting. And all, so many of those things have got to die. I don't like the term deconstruction. I have known too many people that have deconstructed but have had nothing to take its place. What I find is when you kind of come through this, this process, you see the death of some of the, the tightly held beliefs and theology that you had. And as you see that, there's going to be new things that begin to come in. In other words, the light is going to shine into that darkness, into that void that was left. But Friday is a painful time of death. It's a letting go. It's a forsaking. It's a realization that, man, this, I've, been, I've missed some things. I've missed some things. None of your friends or family may see it at this point, but you're seeing it. Then comes Saturday. Saturday's kind of a time of silence. Here's what I found on my Saturday. Saturday, I was just quiet. Friday was a letting go. Saturday was kind of a setting in and seeing the potential. I began, when, when he showed me grace, when he showed me it was apart from my works, that I could not earn anything, that my behavior, my obedience, my fasting, my prayer, my, my, my servanthood amounted to nothing, but it was all his grace. I began to see the potential of that in other people's life as well as my life. So Saturday is kind of a setting in. We begin to see the potential that this shift that is going on. We start to feel a little bit better about it. We start to feel a little bit more at ease. And we, we start to, to, to move with it just a little bit. We see the kingdom, not a denomination anymore. We begin to become kingdom-oriented, kingdom-minded. We begin to see all the things that are added when we seek first the kingdom. Yes, yesterday on Friday, we saw all the things that were shed and died as we seek the kingdom. Now we're seeing some new vistas open up. We begin to see the potential of it. We begin to see the potential that comes apart from religious beliefs. We begin to see that the theology was not the main thing. But the main, we make the main thing the main thing, which is Jesus is Lord and love. And as that truth begins to filter in, it brings life. It brings freedom. And all that kind of begins to settle in. We get very excited about it. And my time's almost up this morning, so let me just hit Sunday morning. Because Sunday morning is when you've let go of everything on Friday. You've, you've let it set in, kind of settle in on Saturday. And you see what's ahead. And so when that Sunday morning comes and you experience this resurrection, this newness of life that walks out of the grave and you take the grave clothes off one last time for forever and you're finally free, you understand that the, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And the most freeing word you ever heard of your life as you look back on it was the words of Jesus when he said, it is finished and there's nothing you can add to it. So all those things that died on Friday, you begin to set up new things in place on Saturday. And then on Sunday morning, it resurrects to a new level. And you travel lighter than you've ever traveled. You feel like so much weight has been taken off of your shoulders. Life now revolves around simplicity of truth. 
And that begins to spring forth and it begins to multiply. And this is the bubbling. This is when Jesus said to the guys, throw down your nets and follow me. This is what they were sensing in Jesus. There was a life there. There was something that had a, had a gravitational pull. There was something that magnetized them and pulled them and drew them to Jesus. Isn't it amazing how unconditional love lightens the load like nothing else can? So now some of you are there. Some of you are experiencing that. And as you experience it, listen, it positions you to keep yourself open to an increasing move of the Spirit. Friday and Saturday happened so that Sunday could take place. Friday and Saturday open you to more on Sunday. Now, you, this, this process is going to be repeated over and over and over again in your life. Until Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, that it will take the ages to come for us to dive to the depths of God's graciousness and God's love for us. We'll never get it all unwound. We'll keep discovering like an onion, one layer after another, after another, after another. That's what makes this journey so exciting. That's why at the Digital Cathedral, I come every week and I'm jacked up, I'm pumped up, I'm full of life, I'm, I'm full of light because I'm not bored anymore. I used to have everything nailed, knew exactly what I believed, how I believed it, why I believed it. And it gets to be like stale bread. This is not stale bread. The emphasis of the ages is coming to pass. And it's not correct beliefs and it's not theology. It's the Lordship of Jesus and the love that he has. I, I, I believe that as grace is expressed in the goodness of God, I think a lot of the doctrines are going to automatically fall off. I'm not going to worry about what you believe about end times. The only thing I'm concerned about is that you don't have fear. But see, when Jesus is Lord, perfect love casts out that fear. So the doctrines that people carry that are fearful, I don't have to weed them out. The Spirit of truth will weed them out. So what you and I need to do, unity of the faith. I want you to begin to think, unity of the faith. Not unity of doctrine, not unity of theology. Unity of the faith. And those, the, the, the two components, Lordship of Jesus and the love that was demonstrated by 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 Jesus. Lordship of Jesus and the love that was demonstrated by him. Man, these are priorities of the Father. We're getting into some things now that are very good. We're getting into the next chapter of the book. You understand? Early chapters, the grace, the unconditional love, the fatherhood of God, the inclusion. Those are all bringing us up to this point now to where our security is in that time we spend with him. You, your eyes open in the morning, you're thinking, Father, so, thanks so much for bringing me alive today. I'm here. Life is good. It's full of abundance and, and things that I'm discovering are exciting. Thank you for walking out with me in the things that are happening today, right? All things work together for good. Amen? All right, I want to do the last little segment on this next week. But just keep your eyes open for what the Spirit of Truth is doing in bringing us to the unity of the faith. Amen. God bless you. See you next time.